Welcome to Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera, the podcast where we delve into deep questions of faith, life, and meaning. In today's episode, we'll delve into the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives going beyond the events of the day of Pentecost. Throughout this episode, we'll uncover how the Holy Spirit guides, empowers, and transforms believers. So let's get ready to embrace the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power as we unlock endless possibilities together. Of course, we're here with Dr. Mark Rivera. This is his podcast show, so of course he's here. Thank you again for tackling another thought-provoking topic today. But before we officially get started with this topic of, of the power of the Holy Spirit, I just want to thank all of our listeners. We, we've hit a milestone recently. Wow. Over a thousand downloads on your podcast, Dr. Mark Rivera. A thousand podcasts? No, a thousand downloads. <laughs> a thousand downloads. Yeah, I get lost with the technical a stuff. A thousand, uh, 70 decades. <laughs> if you guys have been listening since day yes. one, you'll know what that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, a little... thousand downloads. They've heard that before. Right. Then, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, no, really. So, in a serious note, a thousand downloads. That means that that a thousand people potentially. That means a thousand people have downloaded our, our episodes and has listened. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, it's adding all the episodes together. It's, I think today is our twelfth episode. Wow. Um, so it's not too bad considering you know we no. started a couple of months ago. We've been trying to do this every week. So right. again, thank you, listeners, for for staying loyal to us. Yeah. And, thank you. And That's fantastic. In. Yeah. Thank you to all. And you know what else, Matt? Thank you to you because you you bring a level of interaction that really um, uh, lifts the entire power, if you will, of, of what we've been doing over the last episodes. And so I thank you as well. You know, the exchange that we have is very healthy. And I actually look forward to the times when we can, you know, do this because it's uh, not only a great academic exercise in the sense mm -hmm. that, you know, we, we have to use our thinking, our reasoning, our logic and all of that um, uh, to be able to understand these comp some of these are very complex mm -hmm. issues. And, and, you know, on that, I want to say also, we don't we don't go to the infinite uh, depth, if you will, for that. You know, you'll have to go to seminary or read you know, right. 20 books exactly. on the subject. But I think what we bring to the table is that we bring a, a very practical application of theological things. You know, that um, and, and, and by I mean practical, it becomes very pastoral. We, what we do um, in the congregation and the ministry and in the context that I minister um, and most certainly in private conversations, we can go even deeper on some of these things. And when we when we bring these topics, it isn't for to create an atmosphere of controversy or it's some of them are controversial. I know that. But it really is based on the experiences that we've had in life. You know what kind of makes sense and based on our read of scripture, if you will, and its application. So I'm certain that, you know, we have in those thousand podcasts or the, the number downloads, of people yeah. downloads rather that people have heard us, you know, some people have been maybe unsettled and uneasy with some of the things we said, but, you know, I, I actually think that that's healthy. Yeah. That helps us to grow. You know, you don't want to hear always uh, what we want to hear or what makes us feel good, but sometimes a level of uncomfortableness actually draws us to, to explore even further. So thank you so much, Matt. And, and uh, definitely I, I piggyback your opening comments on those, those people that have been with us. And I'm excited about being here and continuing to do this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, yeah, let's get into it. The Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday. What, what inspired this uh, this episode today? Right. This coming weekend is going to be Pentecost Sunday. It's mm -hmm. celebrated um, throughout Christianity or at least looked at. I think it has different... It's a controversial um, uh, 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 gathering or celebration, uh, has different meaning for those that are, I believe, and I, again, I'm taking a lot of license right now. If you're charismatic Pentecostal, it should have a def different meaning for you. Some mm -hmm. churches use this um, as a platform to be able to move forward and pray for people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to address that in our, in our time today in this episode. Okay. But I think more broadly also, there are other things that we need to consider with regard to a more expansive and comprehensive view of uh, the day of Pentecost uh, and even though it does inform Pentecostalism uh, and charismatic movements, it nonetheless has a, a larger a larger audience. And it can be controversial. So I'm, I'm going to share my points of view. Yeah. Uh, understanding, of course, that, you know, not everyone will agree with me. But from my, my vantage point and how I've seen it, you know, my read of scripture and, and experience also, 
um, you know, I'm going to land somewhere on it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's appropriate because we're just a few days away from Pentecost Sunday and everybody's talking about it and, you know, uh, in churches. And, and you'll be, you'll be sharing a message to a sermon about it as well. Uh, of course. Yeah. This yeah. coming Sunday, I will, uh, will be sharing, uh, the sermon on Pentecost Sunday. Um, and high, and even some of the things that I'm going to be talking about here, I will be also talk, uh, expanding a little bit more in our Sunday sermon, uh, so I'm excited about this topic. You know, it's a big topic studied in Bible schools, studied in, in Bible classes, and certainly in seminary. And um, and I'm excited to get started. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with um, kind of defining the Holy Spirit and its significance in, in specifically Christianity. What is it? Why is it important? Yeah. Actually, the word it is wrong. Okay. It's who is he? Uh, in in uh, Trinitarian theology, we view him as a um, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even if you're not Trinitarian, you still have an opinion and view of the Holy Spirit. But I'm Trinitarian, so from my my vantage point, it is part of God or God or a character of God, or an attribute of God. The could you person say? Of could God. you say a persona of God? A person of God, yeah. Or even some the Godhead, which kind okay. of some people don't like using that word because what it does, it creates the view of like kind of like a monster, some abnormality. <laughs> with right, Godhead, multi- multiple heads. <laughs> but for the sake of it, for the academic concern, you know, mm. uh, he uh, he is the third person of the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Creator, Jesus. Is redeemer, and then the Holy Spirit is the Paraclete, the one that comes alongside us to be able to um, live a victorious life. Mm. It is um, the, there's some confusion with regard to the Holy Spirit, um, when, particularly when you. Uh, in fact, the definition of Pentecost Sunday is um, it's the fiftieth day after Passover, oh, or okay. the fifth Sunday, a seventh Sunday rather. So the Pentecost means fifty in, in original language. And it refers to 50 days after um, uh, a Passover or seven Sundays after Easter. So Pentecost existed even pre-Jesus? Yes. In the Old Testament, oh, it was wow, there okay. because it's part of the one of the Jewish festivals. Interesting. You know, okay. Later on, the name was changed to be called Pentecost. And again, the penta means meaning 50. So it's 50 it. days after Passover or seven Sundays, which is seven Sundays after Easter. Got it. And so um, with the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ and Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, oftentimes, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I think it has another level of meaning now when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost specifically. Uh, so uh, in, in general conversation is that we, we say things, uh, and oftentimes we say things without, you know, Putting too much thought, it's just a moment of we're expressing how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Jesus is with me, the Lord is with me, the Lord is. In reality, technically, that is incorrect. Technically, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He died, resurrected, ascended, and then he's at the right hand of the Father. And then he goes on to tell us, or we learn through Scripture in the New Testament, uh, Gospel of John specifically, where the Lord did not want to leave us alone, so he sent the Holy Spirit. Mm. So we're not an abandoned mankind, but rather Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. But now the paric- uh, Holy Spirit or paraclete, that word simply means someone alongside you. He is with the church to, and this question will come up later on, what is the purpose and function of the Holy Spirit? He guides the church. He, he brings conviction into our hearts for salvation. So everybody has an experience with the Holy Spirit. He uh, enables the church uh with uh, powers, and we see that in the day of Pentecost. We'll talk about that as well. Um, that's the function of the Holy Spirit in us. But he is actually the one that is with us. Mm. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, right? At the right hand of the majesty. And he left but did not leave us alone, which is a wonderful teaching on transition. So the Lord Christ, he handed us off, us being the church, the bride, mm. to the Holy Spirit, who is now come to be with us in a different manifestation that you saw in the Old Testament. Hmm. So on the day of Pentecost, there's a shift there. In the Old Testament, people knew the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God. Those are references to the third person of the Holy Mm. Spirit. In the Old Testament. Right, in the Old Testament. But now uh, in the book of Acts, in the first century, there's a new dimension that opens up to us. And we'll talk about why. But there's a new dimension. Well, now the Holy Spirit is not just this, this force or this person outside of us. But now there's an indwelling and an empowering that happens deep down inside of us. 
So could you say on to that point, I'm just trying to make sure I understand um, and help the audience understand too, of course, the role of the Holy Spirit, a part of it is almost like a tether to God between us and God. Like it's, is it like that, almost like a bridge? It gives us access to God kind of thing or I'm just trying to understand the paraclete part. Technically, if uh, biblically, technically, if Mm. I just said that he is God, Mm. so it is not a tether to Mm. God in the sense of the role of the church post-Pentecost day, mm. you know, the the, and post, uh, the 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 first century, he is now the one that becomes this power that is endued. In fact, the word um, is um, uh, dunamis in the original, which is the root word in the English of for dynamite. So this power now rests inside of us who happens to be God, the Holy Spirit, mm. in us to be able to... Now, why? Let me, let me, might as well answer the question now. Yeah. Well, why... Well, think about it. In the first century, the, the, the Christians had experienced salvation, right? Mm-hmm. So the work of the Holy Spirit had to be functioning in their hearts and lives because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings conviction. That's another job of the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. So he brings conviction in the heart to receive the Lord or to receive the gospel, the good news, good news into their lives. So in the first century, the disciples, find them, or the followers of Christ, found themselves now with that conviction happening in their lives. But... They were now filled with fear. Why? Mm. Jesus was crucified. What happened to the mass is going to happen to us. Mm. All of a sudden, this yeah. persecution lifts up. This fear happens. You know, uh, uh, Judas commits suicide, and you know Peter displays his ang- his human anger, and all of this stuff going on. Denying Jesus, cutting the the ear of the guy, the the, the centurion or the the guard that was coming in to defend the Lord, and you know, you those that live by the sword die by the sword. Those comments that come out. And so there was this tension of fear in the first century believers, which then becomes actually an obstacle to the mission ahead. Mm, yeah. How can they, they they preach the gospel under such extreme persecution? I get what you're saying. Exactly. That was, the, that was their context. Yeah, that's the context. They were, they were paralyzed literally with fear. Some of them were shut in in their homes. And now, so how are they going to go forth and talk about the gospel mm. uh, without some help? from a God and mm. the help from God came in the form of the Holy Spirit. The other thing also on the day of Pentecost, which was a regular Jewish holiday, not a regular, but an annual Jewish holiday. Um, um, it was also a promise from the Lord. There was prophesied. So they would be, they would go and receive this gift, the promise that was going to come to them. Now, why was that necessary? Why did they need that? Or again, I just explained some of it in the sense of they were paralyzed with fear. They did not want to move here and there. They did not know what to do. Jesus was gone. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to me as well. Oh me, oh my. Maybe I'll default back to my pagan ways, all of that. And then there's a mandate to preach the gospel to all, to Mm -hmm. make disciples of men, right? That could not happen in the condition they were in. So what did they do? They, according to Acts chapter one, they gather now for a time of prayer. Mm. So two, two teachings come out of that that I think are important, not just prayer, which is one, they, they were in the upper room praying, interceding, that's powerful. Actually, it's three teachings. They were together in one accord, so unity is important uh, to be able, but then they needed to receive a level of demonstrative power. Mm. Explosive power. <laughs> there you go, there you go, there, exactly, dunamis. The dunamis, dynamite, right. Yeah. Explosive power, because if you look at the book of Acts, one of the highlights and overarching themes of the book of Acts is signs, miracles, and wonders. Right, yeah. So all of a sudden, right out of the gate, if you continue reading chapter 3 and on of the book of Acts, you'll see these incredible miracles that start to take place because now the Holy Spirit emboldened these Christians. Mm. So the shyness is gone. The fear is now manageable. And now they're emboldened to go and preach this gospel, and it is followed by signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders not only give glory to God, but also it, it, it latches onto the curiosity of the audience. And they say, wait a minute, what is this going on? Yeah. How is this possible? You know, yeah. I'm even thinking of even the first sermon um, from, from Peter. I mean, at the end of the day, Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't. I wonder if he was even literate. You know what I mean? That's (laughs) true. You know what I mean? Like we don't really know. So for someone to be able to share such a powerful, compelling message that saves what thousands, right? 3,000. 3,000. Think about that. The power of the Holy Spirit comes down day of Pentecost and, you know, Mm. Peter who had never preached before. We don't find another sermon of him in the the Bible. Exactly. In fact, he was a guy that was very human and was very active and had probably an anger management problem as well. 
you know, <laughs> so that didn't disqualify him. He yeah. was a denier for sure. Right. You know, right. he was, uh, he was, he, he just had all this multiple traits, characteristics of humanity. Yeah, right? He was human. He was human. <laughs> Very, for some people too human. Right. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden now he becomes this preacher. He rises to the surface. So, because yeah. I was doing a list and there's like seven or eight things that emerge from, because people say, oh, the day of Pentecost, that's when the church is born. Yes, mm. yes, yes. But please don't limit that. Mm. Don't limit the experience of the day of Pentecost to the church is born. Because, you know, you have here, first of all, the church I find this so fascinating because I have a, an unusual way. God is so patient with me, the way I study scripture. So when I'm looking at the day of Pentecost, and this is all in preparation for my Sunday sermon. So this is one of the things that I've been researching and looking at. Um, th the church is actually born with a question. Hmm. Explain. <laughs> no, I'm not going to explain. <laughs> Come Sunday and here's the be preached. No, question. it's actually about the question, question emerges in chapter 2, verse 12, where all of a sudden... In Acts, yeah, I'm looking at Acts, that the people that were watching and there, the audience, the group of folks that were there, they got confused because they, wait a minute, these people, they're, they're not from my country, but they're speaking my language. Because mm -hmm. it says they were okay. they spoke in other tongues and part of the speaking in tongues was there were human languages spoken there in mm -hmm. the upper room. So they, they asked, the, the church is born under this question, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. And some other versions uh, bring us the question as, what is this? Hmm. So in a way, it, it, that's the birth of the church. Rather than Jesus is the answer, as we talk so often, the church is born under this canopy of question of, you know, what is happening here? It almost sounds, because some even allude to this and it's not fair, it's actually a, a mischaracterization of the upper room experience as, as a, a convoluted, confusing state. Disorganized? No, no. The God is very organized and structured, you know, and especially in dealing with us as human beings. But the church is birthed, yes, but it's birthed under the the canopy of this question: What does this mean? And the ones that were asking the question is the ones that were not filled, but those that were observing others being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in the tongues that only they knew. And they knew that those speaking their language were not from their village. Mm. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. In fact, also, not only is the church born, Matt, but, and not only is it birthed under a question, but in a way it's birthed under this confusing moment. Because those same people start to say, wait a minute, they must be filled with wine. <laughs> they must be drunk. Not not filled with the Holy Spirit. They must be filled with wine. Okay? That was a question. Which, you know, in, in a way, I understand a little bit better the right. context today because today people that speak in tongues sometimes are ridiculed or or or, or relegated to the fringes of the Christian, Christian experience, which is mm. not a fair thing either to do. And also no one listening to me has the authority to even do that, to put people on the fringes. But... Mm. Uh, but the, the, those that speak in tongues oftentimes have been viewed that way incorrectly. Yeah, they misunderstood. The okay. Yeah, and you know we have to be generous for those that, that misunderstood the experience as well. But uh, so many people do that. Yeah, so yeah. it happened then. They say, wait a minute, these these people got to be drunk. They have to be drunk because you know. And then later on, you read you read in the text. That it starts to say, well, you know, they can't be drunk. It's too early in the morning. You get drunk later on in the day. So it wasn't even saying don't get drunk. They, they didn't get drunk. They just said don't get drunk in the they morning. They were trying to make sense of it. They were trying to understand. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So in a way, the confusion even today, even this Sunday when we, you know, experience it in the entire Christian world, you know, at least talks about it about Pentecost Sunday, there is some level of confusion. Welcome to the club because it yeah. happened in the first century. Right. The the other thing is, and you just mentioned at the beginning. Because, uh, I, again, I listed, you know, what happened on the day of Pentecost. What, what, what was the outcome there? Uh, Peter, and you, you just stated it, chapter 2, verse 14, Peter all of a sudden rises up. Who would have thought that Peter would have preached a message? Who yeah. would have thought? No one would have thought that. No one, even Peter himself. Yeah. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes these diamonds in the rough and... There's an, a, a transformation that has an internally, because oftentimes, Matt, we change on the outside, but we don't allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to change us on the inside. Mm. And I'm not talking just the Holy Spirit. We don't let the gospel penetrate. In fact, we, um, this last week, we, here in New York, the whole nation, Christianity is suffering now the loss of, of Tim Keller, for example. And mm. one of the things I learned from him is, is exactly what I just stated. That doesn't come from me. 
He says the gospel not only has to come to you on the outside, but it has to live within you. Jesus Mm. is not just your savior on the outside, but there has to be an internal transformation. And I agree on that point with with Tim Keller. So here you have here you have an unexpected preacher, a Peter. And I guess the, the application for us is don't underestimate people that rise up and start preaching a compelling gospel. Mm. A compelling message. Just because they were disqualified yesterday doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not working in them to change them. So that that's a miracle. Yeah. One of the things that emerges from there, you know, and then, and then if you look at it, he not only preaches, and you just, you said this, he not only preaches, I mean, every preacher listening to me right now would hope that on their very first sermon, 3,000 people come to the altar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and give their lives to Christ. I think yeah. in my first sermon, 3,000 people left. In fact, <laughs> I think in my first sermon, 3,000 people weren't even present. <laughs> you know, the only one that, that said I did a good job was me. <laughs> We're still trying to get $3,000. So think about it. Yeah. And that speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. That out of out of what seems to be um, nothing, he 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 allows us to evolve into becoming something that even surprises ourselves. And mm-hmm. I'm sure till this day, I'm still surprised at what the Lord did with Peter's life. And if you look at the history of the church, he become comes one of the fathers of the church. I mean, you know, you go to you. I, I've been to the whole uh, to the Holy Land, and I've been to um, also to uh, Rome. The Vatican, Vatican, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's St. Peter's Basilica. He's considered to be, you know, in the in the Catholic tradition, an incredible leader, you know, the first pope. So think about that for a moment. Now, I think about that. I say, wow, the, the, the Holy Spirit is just amazingly gracious with us that here he takes someone like Peter. But not only does he preach, but he preaches a tremendously anointed service. He preaches a sermon, and this is critical, I think, for me. It certainly changed the way I look at homiletics and the preparation for sermons and all that. If you look at the text there in in the second uh, chapter of the book of Acts, he calls the people to repent. Mm. And for me, that needs to be an included feature in the, and when we do sermons, mm. either implicitly or explicitly. We need to be able to drive people to the feet of a place of repentance. That's what Peter did. Now, he was speaking to believers who were praying. Yeah, He was speaking to followers of Jesus, but also there was an audience listening. And so Pentecost not just brought the, the birth of the church, but it allowed us to learn about how to preach appropriately and guide people to uh, repentance and to repent. And repent means 180 degree turn from what you were doing, whatever you were doing before that was uh, driving you down. Yeah. And then, and I'm going to finish because I know this segment is a little longer because it's this list that I have of, of, you know, what really happened to the church in Pentecost. The other thing that I learned here is that um, 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 this whole thing about receiving the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And if you look carefully at chapter two, I believe is verse 39, Peter in his sermon includes this, a statement that says that the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for the believer and his children. Hmm. I had to stop on that. I was up early this morning studying again for not for this podcast, but studying for my the sermon on Sunday. And I had never seen that that way. I always saw the power of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the way it's, you know, the, the phrases that capture that moment, the endowment of the Holy Spirit in people. I've always seen that as something for the church, but when I read Peter's sermon on that day that drew 3,000 people to receive and to be added to the church, it said, he was referring here to praying of the Holy Spirit to be able to uh, be the promise or the gift for the believer and his family. Hmm. I've never seen that before. And that's what I love about scriptures, like a fountain. You keep learning every day. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that too. You've probably read that a thousand times. And, I, then and that, I have, yeah. yeah. And I've studied <laughs> it, and, you know, but I studied it from a different, and that's why you keep learning. So I'm, I, when I, this Sunday when we gather, I'm going to make that point, and then I'm going to challenge the fathers and the moms and the guardians that are there to come forward and pray. Um, and, it, and in there... It it didn't it, it, it connotes the connotation that comes out of there is you know the the head of the household determines the spirituality of the person that's what the the, the context was during that time mm. I believe salvation is individual we had a pat, podcast totally on that right 
Uh, I believe it's an individual decision of a person. But here it's letting the head of households know this power is for you and your children. Yeah. And I'm going to make that point on Sunday and, and let's see how the Lord guides me is to be able to then pray over people for to receive this gift. Yeah. But I think that's an, if anything stopped me short today, and you know, I've been spending a couple of hours in preparation just today alone for this coming Sunday, and I'm not done yet. I still have a lot of work to do. Um, uh, that stopped me. And I went back and I said, wow, I, I need to think about that. So it's prayer for my children. And, and really there it's referring to generations too. So my grandkids and, you know, pray that they be guided, not by intellectual concepts. That's important, mm-hmm. has its place, but rather by the infilling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I know I get into trouble when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's true for me. We limit we limit the power of the Holy Spirit. We limit it to speaking in tongues, and we don't realize that, it, that His work is a lot broader in empowering us and, and in developing, developing us. Yeah, so true, so true. I'm glad you went through that list because, yeah, we're right now at this point of the episode, yeah, we're trying to define um, the role of the Holy Spirit, how it manifests, what that looks like. And you're right. When we think of the story of the, the day of Pentecost in the Bible, um, by default, we, we kind of limit it to just simply speaking in tongues. But clearly, there's a lot more to the function of the Holy Spirit than just speaking in tongues. So, um, and on that point, let's let's explore that more. Let's start tackling that. Like, let's explore, you know, the broader aspects of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned, for example, the conviction part. Um, that's clearly key. Um, that it that it helps us recognize that we do need Jesus as as our Lord and Savior. There's that feeling that of conviction inside. Remember that sparked that, by the Holy Spirit. That the role of, of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate, mm. and and some people jump too quickly into revelation, hmm. right? And revelation. Ah connotes the idea of the discovery of something that hasn't been discovered at all. Mm. For me, that's playing games with God. God doesn't play this game of hiding things for us. Mm. Illumination really speaks of what that word means, and that is to cast light on something that is already existing, some truth that is already existing. So the Holy Spirit illuminates us and and um and i guess you could say gives you clarity right I, gives you clarity yeah. that's a very good synonym yeah he gives you clarity he brings conviction to our heart and highlights our sinfulness so that then we can realize more concretely that we need a savior i mm-hmm. believe there's a, a powerful role that the holy spirit has in bringing people to receive the gospel and receive christ as savior and it's not revelation and we need to teach our people not to overemphasize revelation because the ink unless you totally define revelation and totally define and help people understand that concept, people will be seeking a new revelation. All of God's revelation is found in scripture. Mm. And that means, and let me just, let me clarify that further. Revelation in scripture is not everything about God. It's only what the human mind can comprehend. Mm. There's much more about God. But the Bible reflects for us, and we did a podcast on this too, and what the yeah. Bible is, right? Um, the Bible shows us what we as human beings can try to understand or grasp with regard to God. Now, that said, that the Holy Spirit brings illumination, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, that the Holy Spirit guides us toward the path of salvation. Some people say, and this is this is an error in my opinion, in my opinion, I you know, whoever differs, okay, and in my opinion, I'm willing to stand before God, my maker, and, and have him hear me say, you taught it right or tell me I did it wrong. <laughs> but this is my conviction. Um, and that is the conviction that you need to speak in tongues in order to be saved. That's almost equivalent to what we hear now. And we'll be doing this in one of the following podcasts about the, the, the political context, that you have to vote a certain way in order to be saved. If you're saved, you really have to vote a certain way. You know? mm. But I'm talking about political voting. Yeah. No, salvation is not linked to speaking in tongues. That does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not involved. It just means the area of speaking in tongues is not part of being born again. No. Mm. The guy on the cross, there's no record that shows in Scripture that the guy on the cross next to Jesus, that the Lord told him, today you will be with me in paradise, spoke in tongues. But the Lord told him emphatically, today you will be with me in paradise. So there's a the, the Holy Spirit is still working in the convicting area in being able to draw people to make a decision and illuminating them Mm. so that things that are already existing, truths that exist, become then visible to them in their experience. 
But I think it's an error to go and say, uh, you know, something that I don't, I don't, I haven't found a scripture. I've read this many, many times. Over, and, I'm, and I'm not the expert in this. I'm just telling you based on my study and research, you know, some people have done their own and, uh, uh, there's no link between speaking in tongues because what about all those brothers and sisters that don't embrace speaking in tongues as part of their Christian experience? Does yeah. that mean that they're not saved? I don't dare judge them. That's mm-hmm. not my role to judge them at all. Yo, but they don't speak. Why? Why? I'm not going to go there. I'm so just so where does that train of thought come from then? Because I, 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 I do land mm-hmm. where you land because I don't see anything in scripture that specifically says in order to be saved, you have to you know, be baptized in the Holy Spirit to the point where you're speaking in tongues. Yeah. I don't see that explicitly said. So how, so where does that come from, that, that ideology? Yeah, that's good. I, since it doesn't come from scripture, it has to come from some human philosophy or conclusion. Okay. You know, um, um, uh, that's all, that's how I can answer that because I, I honestly don't see that. And I think there's uh, sufficient evidence for me in scripture back to the guy on the cross and others right, that you'll right. find in the New Testament. Exactly. Yeah that there's no evidence of them speaking in tongues, you know, mm. um, uh, as a point for redemption. Uh, John 3.16 is very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whomever believed in right. him. Right, exactly. So it doesn't say believe and speak in tongues. And I don't, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to lay um, uh, an, an accuse, or point on an accusing finger on my brothers that are listening that don't believe, or that do believe that. Okay. That's cool if yeah, you believe yeah. it, but I don't see that at all. Hmm. You know, uh, in the text or in the texts that I've examined and the, the research that I've done, uh, there's no link to that yeah. whatsoever. And also, especially since, again, right now we're trying to highlight that there's more to yeah, the Holy good. Spirit good. That's good. than speaking in tongues. So yeah. why, why, if we're going to apply that ideology with speaking in tongues, why can't it be the other things? Like you said, like, for example, the family part and mm-hmm. how that can you know it's the holy spirit the outpouring of the holy spirit goes to you the head of the household but also to your family as well so like those should be considerations too then if we're going to follow that that's train true of thought that's true and and to in this episode we're going to deal with things that are um above it not above but uh beyond or included in this package that we call the baptism of the holy spirit speaking in tongues being one of the characteristics and elements but then there are others as well but the ones that i'm going to uh, enumerate today I find them in scripture. Yeah. Find, I find let's them. talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's tackle it. Let's well, before that, we, okay, sorry. I, <laughs> but no, I think there's also yeah. another area of, of controversy with regard mm. to the Holy Spirit. And I do want to get, I actually do want to get into all these other elements, of, part of the experience of Pentecost. But I would do a disservice going there without first clarifying or at least mentioning the second point. Okay. The second point is this whole discussion on what they call cessation. Cessation. Okay. Because the, the battle in among Christian and cessation, you know, that's spelled with a C, C-E-S-S-A-T-I-O-N, cessation. That means to stop or no longer operating or functioning. That's what that means. And cessationalists say the following, and they have biblical evidence for that. And we have to, you know, I always say, you've heard me say this before, Matt, and you've heard me say it on this podcast. You can't critique something unless you study it, unless you understand it. So I've looked at this as well. And cessationists say that basically, yes, there was a uh, a miraculous uh, power demonstrated in the upper room on the day of Pentecost in the first century. And yes, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, they spoke in tongues. However, that was a one-time event. Mm, it yeah. ceased there. <laughs> right. Right. And valid, valid, mm-hmm. valid. You know, I mean, I, I know why, I understand why they land there. And cessationist says, so there's no, there's no room in the Christian world experience today uh, with speaking in tongues because, yes, it happened. They're not denying it happened. Yes, it was the miraculous work of, the, of God, which is true. But that was just that one hmm. event. So it stopped in the book of, after the book of Acts, basically. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. It, it stopped in the first century. It stopped century, there in that event. Right. And it never occurred again. Interesting. Okay. That's that's a you know understanding. I got that. I, I know why they're. And this saying, is like a common belief amongst yeah, yeah, today. Uh, Christians. Okay. Yeah. Today, there's, even today, there's a, the other thing too. When to- topics are controversial, people don't like to talk about them too often. But mm. if you attend, you know, if you uh, those listeners have been to Bible school, these sub these topics come up. Definitely, if you've been to seminary, it comes right. up, uh, and and they'll unpack it biblically as well. So. Here's what you, my advice, my advice is listen to the arguments, understand the positions of people, and then land in a place where you can settle there. 
you know, even though there's still controversies swirling around. So I am not a cessationist. Mm. Uh, um, for me, I understand what they mean. It makes, there's some logic to that, but I see the manifestations and powers of the Holy Spirit, you know, in the speaking in tongues, not just through the Pentecostal world or the charismatic world, but even in other worlds as well, the other religious worlds as well. Now, some people will say, yeah, but that would not be God. I'm not going to judge that. Mm. God is the ultimate judge. I just know that, you know, I've, I've read books and, and researched this and there's been manifestations and revivals and all of that in, in, in schools and seminaries of different traditions. Uh, and we can't argue that there's recorded even, you know, I'm thinking of a specific denomination that is not charismatic, that is not. In fact, some would argue there's not even a Christian um, uh, uh, denomination. And yet there's recorded you know, uh, their choir singing and all of a sudden an outbreak of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues. So you have to give some validity to I want to know the denomination. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk offline. We'll talk. I'll invite our visitors to, to, to join my Bible studies where I could talk about it. I don't think it would be helpful in this, in this conversation. But nonetheless, I see that. So for me, I'm not a cessationist. I, mm. I believe that. And, and also, why would God do that? Why would God allow that kind of power to be poured down in the upper room for just that's like you know be, that's like a sprinkling of water to 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 stop a uh, 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 controversy or not controversy to stop this persecution hmm. when persecution of the church has always con- continued even yeah, to this day. It's true. If at any time we need the power of the Holy Spirit, is now. Also, before Jesus ascended, he did mention you know that he, that you will be left with the the Holy Spirit. Right? Yes. Didn't he mention this? Yes. And he didn't give a time limit on no. that, right? Like, no. No. So, I mean, I, yeah, I get it. I, I get think it. if it was that important and you're hitting something that's so true, um, if it was that important to God, he would have said, okay, it's, it's, it's over. It finished in the year 90 of the first century. That's it. It's gone. No more. Mm, yeah. And, and I'm saying it like that. I don't want to be flippant right, about right, right. it, you know, but know. God would give us some indication. And I don't see that indication at all uh, in scripture. And in fact, if you continue reading the, um, the, the book of Acts later, you know, as you continue the subsequent chapters, there were manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit in speaking in other tongues. And some people say, no, but they didn't speak in tongues in the other chapters. No, no, you have to remember that the whole chapter of the Holy Spirit, of, of the book of Acts, is the Acts of the Apostles under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So, so we're, see, now now I have like a, a genuine question. <laughs> okay, because, all, all your questions are genuine. <laughs> no, they are, they are. <laughs> but like, no, this is actually for me personally, now you're making me have this question of like, like where do we draw the line only because I'm thinking... They were pretty incredible things that the apostles did right. after Jesus ascended. I'm thinking of like the more extreme ones where like they literally survived death, like getting bitten by a poisonous right. snake. And because like, like if if what you're saying is true, right, um, that we still have access to that same level of Holy Spirit power from the first century church. Right. Um, you know, I, I think it's dangerous, right? To like, where's the line? Because then, do will people then feel like they are? Um, almost invincible, that they can't yes. die from a snake. You know yes. what I mean? I'm thinking, so where do we, how, how do I reconcile that? I, I think it goes back back to the context of the text that we're considering, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. If you look at the not yet risen Savior, or I'm sorry, not the yacht, the, <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> Slow down. Yacht, I'm thinking of boat, ships, you know, being <laughs> underwater. Uh, the not yet ascended Savior, mm. because the book of Acts chapter one opens up with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, but not yet ascended, mm. which I, I, I always, I mean, I've been looking at that for, for decades, trying to, to grasp that and get my arms around that. So G, chapter one opens up exactly with that. Jesus is not yet ascended to the right hand of the father, but he spent, he spent time talking to the disciples and teaching them. Mm, yeah. And so I think what you're saying is absolutely true. There's some abuses with regard to the, the work of the Holy Spirit and even mm. the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the way he functions and works. And it's really the, the depravity, the human depravity that takes it there. Jesus was trying to avoid that. In fact, the text says that he spent 40 days. This is already out of the tomb on his way to see at the right hand of the father, 40 days teaching the disciples. Hmm. And for me, I think teaching and sitting down to learn and examining and exploring and looking and, you know, researching, that's a critical part of 
a, a, a believer that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot, because some people say, well, that's an emotional experience. No, 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 no. The disciples, the Lord spent time training them. That's not emotional. Mm. And I'm not making this up. That's chapter one. He's saying very clear. Okay, yes, he was talking about the kingdom of God. Right. The kingdom of God, the way I define it is the rule and dominion of the Lord in your heart. Mm. Establish a little throne in your heart or a big throne in your heart that Jesus is the only one that could sit there. He was talking to the disciples about that. Mm. He was preparing them for what lay ahead. Include This is pre, pre-Pentecost, pre the day of Pentecost. Yeah. So he's teaching them intensely. So in order for us to not fall into error, not just in this topic, uh, Matt and listeners, but in so many other areas of research and scripture, we've got to spend time in, in, in studying. Jesus spent more time. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is a teaching. Mm. It wasn't a preaching. They call it a sermon, but it was a teaching mm. on the practical applications of the gospel now in their lives. And I think uh, the, the burden it falls on uh, 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 practitioners of pastoral ministry, like I consider myself, um, to be able to teach our people what does the Bible say and not get lost on extra biblical texts and you use commentaries, use all the research you can, but at the end of the day, what do you understand that the Bible is saying? Yeah. And so you see abuses, you see um, situations where people, like you just mentioned, you know, you mess you mess around with a poisonous snake, you're probably going to die from the bite. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, because yeah. if your motivation is to show, well, look at how much power I have. Right, exactly. That is not the motivation of God. Mm-hmm. If your yeah. motivation is to do what the disciples said at the beginning, because we haven't even gotten there yet about, you know, what did the church finally do besides just speaking in tongues in the first century. Um then if you if that's your motivation to see show people how much power you have that that snake bite is going to kill you. Right. You drink that poison, it's going to it's going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah gonna, no, that makes sense. So, that makes sense. So so, it's, so, so it sounds like the focus should be more on the the preaching and teaching part too. Like that. Well, that's, that, a, that's one of the main focuses of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Well, it, you have to. It is not emotional. You have mm. to sit down and you know. Um, uh, that's why I think sometimes we got to be careful when we pray. This Sunday we'll pray for people, right? But we're not going to pray an emotional prayer. Mm. It's not about sweating and all that. And I'm not, <laughs> right. I'm not belittling any of that. I don't want to sound too comical on that, you know, because I understand. I really do understand that. But it is not a, an emotional experience. You have to understand. And that's what Jesus did. Yeah. And I'm only going by what I understand in Scripture. Chapter 1. The beginning, the book opens up. The, uh, this book is written by by Theophilus, and the Theophilus is a God lover is what that means, right? Mm. And they say that he might have been using that term. It was probably Luke that wrote the book of Acts, right? Mm, like now I'm pen, getting a little like, bit more academic. But, like a pen name kind of thing. Well, why? Because the church is being persecuted. persecuted. Yeah. He didn't want to put his name on the letter. You know, they're going to track him down. They're going to GPS him and, <laughs> and get rid of him. So he uses this thing called Theophilus, which is, you know, a compound st- uh, structure, which means God lover. Mm-hmm. And But it was really um, you know, Luke who wrote uh, the, 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 this book. So it, it opens up by him painting the picture of the not yet ascended Jesus teaching. So teaching is important and it has to be coupled with this experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go into what you kind of alluded to before. Let's go beyond um, the, the roles that we've talked about with the Holy Spirit, um, how, how the Holy Spirit can empower believers for service and ministry. Okay, let's, let's go That's, there. And I'm doing an expository reflection on Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2. That's mm-hmm. what I'm doing for those. Right. Of folks that are out there, it's expository. I'm going idea by idea, verse by verse in the scripture to highlight to our audience and bring to the surface of our understanding that the day of Pentecost is not, is yes, speaking in tongues, but it's also a lot more. Yeah. That's what, that's where I want to get to. And he, he's part of the, he's, he's the part of the Godhead. The first one is we already talked about it. And that's the learners. It says in verse uh, chapter two, verse 42, the first part they became lifelong learners. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit is not just about spending a worship service speaking in tongues, but it also includes, if we're really filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then we yearn to know more about God. And we exercise the spiritual disciplines to be able to learn and to study and to research. I believe, again, in this expository review, that chapter one shows that because Jesus spent time not laying hands on them and so they can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This was his disciples. He taught them, yep. taught them for 40 days, yep. taught them about the rule and dominion 
of the gospel in the hearts of each one of the disciples. The second thing I see in that verse 42, the same verse sprouts like four different concepts that come out, the same verse. Chapter 2, verse 42. First one is they became lifelong learners. Uh, the second thing is that, that the, the believers, they gathered for fellowship. Mm. It says it clearly for me. That's why it's so important post-COVID, get out of your house and get into a, a building <laughs> and worship together. Fellowship is important. Yeah, yeah. You can only do so much. Uh, I believe Zooming and, and streaming and all of that is going to be part of the church landscape moving forward. I really believe that. Yeah. The technology part has to happen. And you can speak that better than I am, Matthew, because yeah. you, you can. You're in that area. You're called into that area. But there's something about gathering together. You you can do the Lord's table. You can do communion online, but it's a totally different experience than when you do it personally. Yeah, totally. So they gathered for fellowship. That's verse 42, the second part of verse 42. The third part of verse 42 says that they participated in the Lord's table. So I kind of segued into that. And they, you cannot go year in, year out without stopping to have communion. I believe communion is one of the ordinances of the church. I believe it's so important in our church. Some churches practice it every time they gather, right? right? Yeah. Several times a week they'll do communion and that's fine because there's no number, there's no set number, okay. but you have to be a regular participant of the Lord's table, mm. You know, and however you define that, because I know there's different, and I'm we're speaking to an audience of people from different traditions, right? But there has to be the participation in the Lord's table. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, every believer that has accepted the gospel, every believer that has experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives, needs to be drawn to get into the communion table. Yeah. In our church, we celebrate it twice a month because we're, we're two congregations, so we do Spanish. Yesterday I did Spanish in the afternoon and tonight I'll do English uh, communion. But that's such an important part. Yeah. And that could be another podcast when we talk how we break that down yeah, yeah, yeah. because it is is very, very powerful, you know. Yeah. And, and that's the example that Jesus left us as one of the ordinances of the church. The fourth thing that I see uh, with the infilling of the, of the Holy Spirit is they devoted themselves to a life of prayer. Hmm. Now, that may seem legalistic to some or simplistic to others. But prayer is such an important part of, of how we evolve and grow spiritually. And I am not the guy to quote everything about it. There's some excellent authors out there that wrote ex exceptional books about prayer that you can look at and read and examine. And people that are listening to me right now, you might, you might say, well, I don't know how to pray. Welcome to the crowd <laughs> of the disciples. They told the Lord, Lord, yeah. teach us how to pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but prayer, that communication with God, that talking to the Lord, that listening to the Lord, that time of meditation is so important. They devoted themselves to prayer. Yeah. That's an offshoot. So how, my question is, and it's not an accusing question, but it's a thought provoking question. How can you say that you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues when you're not a lifelong learner? How can you say it if you're not gathering for fellowship? How can you say it when you're not participating in the Lord's Supper? How can you say it if you're not living a life of prayer? Prayer, yeah. And prayer, by the way, I'm going to just to capture real quickly, because again, all these, we can do a separate podcast. Right, totally, yeah. <laughs> but it's not five hours every single day. If you do that, God bless you. Pray for me. <laughs> pray uh, for me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, five, five, nine times a day. I'm not legalistic <laughs> with regard to prayer. Sometimes I kneel down to pray and I'm there for a very long time. Oftentimes I don't even kneel down. It's one of those arrow prayers to connect with God, but it's that deep, deep, reflective conversation you need to have with our maker. The other thing that emerges from the church on the day of Pentecost is that they experience miracles, signs, and wonders. Yes. So if miracles are in commonplace, we have to ask, I have to ask the question, is the Holy Ghost really there? Is the Holy Spirit really there? Mm. Now, some would argue, and I agree uh, with this portion, that is because, and you know, I even mentioned it in my introduction, that the first century church needed to have signs, miracles, and wonders because they were fearful and the people needed to see something spectacular or dramatic, right? Um, so, but signs and wonders, and it is not just the someone in a wheelchair all of a sudden walking. I believe God can do that. It isn't just God. I just come back from uh, Guatemala. I was there for a week uh, and I visited a home. Where on the, a missions trip, right? On a missions trip, yes. Okay. And I was there with a group of pastors and I was, we visited a home where the mom 
um, very, very poor people. They And they, it's amazing their level of faith and their graciousness and their warmth in receiving them in their humble home. It was just, I mean, I was in tears most of the time I was in that, in that home just weeping. But her teenage son had a major heart, uh, lung and kidney transplant. Wow. Major. You look at the kid, the teenager, he looked fine, but <laughs> wow. he had major. And then this organization that we, that sponsored us, they paid for all the medical bills for that child because wow. they were too poor. They couldn't handle it. Yeah. So I asked the question of the mom and I said, you know, and it, and it was a Spanish country. I'm bilingual. So I spoke to her in Spanish. I says, now, what do you do with a follow-up medication? Cause that he's going to have to be on medication for the rest of his life. And yeah, that can be with, very expensive. With transplants. Yeah. That's yeah, true. Right. That's right. True. For the rejection of the about that. Yeah. Yep. So I asked a question and she, without even thinking, you know, without even being dramatic or being super spiritual, she says, no, you're right. I took him. She's telling me in Spanish. I took him to the doctor in Guatemala City, in the main hospital, and they gave me the prescription of the drugs that he has to take every single day. And she says, I couldn't, I can't afford them. So uh-huh. I couldn't get him the medication. So then I asked her, so what did you do? She, very matter of fact, she says, well, I brought him home. We came home and we prayed and we prayed that God would heal him and God healed him. He doesn't need any medication. Now I can go into a place of being American worldview and say, well, wait a minute, let, let's, let, let's analyze this for a moment. <laughs> or I can join my faith with hers. Mm. And that that teenager looked perfectly normal and he didn't just have the surgery. It's been months since he had the surgery. Wow. Wow. And she said... Because I believe in miracles. Wow, and yeah. what is a miracle? I know you look in your eyes that right now, Matthew. You want to ask me, what is a miracle? <laughs> a miracle is something that logic cannot comprehend, but reality cannot deny. Mm. Mm. Logic can't get it. Yeah, can't make sense of it. Can't make sense of it. But it happened. But reality, that's the guy saying, I don't know, but I was blind and now I see. Right, right. Squire Rushnell says, calls a miracle a God wink. And I think we need to get back to the place of believing in the miraculous. Yeah. I really mean that for the big and the small. But the early believers, they were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, spoken tongues. But this is one of the things that happened. They needed to. And then we see the evidence of that in the book of Acts. Wow. That then Philip goes down to Samaria and he breaks the the stronghold of witchcraft there in in Samaria. We see, and countless of uh, miracles that we see in the, not countless, but many miracles that happen in the book of Acts that, and, and not all of the book of Acts, by the way, it's not completed, which I love that <laughs> on this point, because that means miracles should be commonplace in the church too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that further echoes your point yeah, about it, the Holy Spirit is still active in yeah. that same way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, so the question is, yeah, but I don't see miracles. Then we have to go back to the other points. Cause by the way, these individual points are not exclusive. It's comprehensive. It's including all of these attributes. Also, the, the other thing that I see as something as an offshoot of uh, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is unity. The believers were in one accord up there praying, but also when they were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, they also remain in unity. And look, it doesn't take a scholar to analyze right now the current nature of our church, of the church with a big C mm. in this country. Yeah. And probably the way to define it is disunity. Yeah, there's a lot of division. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. We're fighting about things that I believe we should just leave alone and yeah. not even fight about. Especially and, with politics and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's, we allow others to inform and define what we do when we should be the ones defining the context rather, rather than the mm. other way around. Yeah. But the church was united. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's enough... There's enough on the agenda that we can agree on. Yeah, that's a very good point. I like that idea because it's not like we're we're looking at just the Apostle Paul alone being overflowed, you know, over, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit just on one person. You're right. It happened in the context of a group of people. And, and I think sometimes we as believers, this is a separate topic, but, you know, we, we see unity and harmony and, and getting along as an, an unachievable goal. Mm. I don't. I don't stand by that. I. I well, I, that isn't biblical either, right? Isn't it true? Every every nation, true. every tongue will proclaim true. 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 Jesus. True. Right. And even as Trinitarians, there's a compliment that the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right. work together in unison as one. So we have yeah. models. Even what I said before, Jesus ascended, and then He didn't leave us alone. He left the Holy Spirit. So there was a sense of connection between Jesus, mm-hmm. the Savior, and the Holy Spirit as a Paraclete. So. I think that that's we're being informed by inclinations of evil when we think we're never going to achieve 
Mm. And you know, and, and, and the, I love Psalm 133 where it says, behold, how beautiful it is to be able to dwell together in harmony. Mm. And, and, and that's that we should be able to complement one another, not compete with one, one another. Because David wrote Psalm 1, this is not a, a study on Psalm 133, but David wrote the Psalm 133. And David was a musician, so I, be, I believe that he was talking about harmonics, I think, uh, music theory, mm. that we need to have ourselves complement one another. We don't have to all be doing the same thing, but we ha- need to be serving the same Savior. Yeah. yeah. So the unity of the community. The other thing is, um, and this is chapter 2, verse 45, and we're talking about the other things besides speaking in tongues. Right. The church now, with this power, intentionally steps into the public square. Mm. Now we're getting political. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a difference between social justice and politics. No, but... there isn't. No, there isn't. <laughs> I got to play devil's advocate. I no, don't push use you. that term. But yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But, but in fact, we should do a podcast just on that alone. Yeah, we um, should. But, but, but they stepped into the public square. You look at yeah. the end of the, of the second, because we stay on the, you know, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but look at the whole chapter, look at it contextually. There was preaching, there was unity, there was prayer, all of that. Um, but they also intentionally stepped into the public square. Mm, mm. And we can see this over and over that in the history of the church here in this country, we have seen men come and, and groups come and women as well to come under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to step into the public square and confront the evils mm. of society. Now, there are powers that need to be confronted. You look at what Dr. Martin Luther King did that was under the move of the Holy Spirit in his life because he kept being a reverend, a pastor, a, lead, yep. a spiritual leader. Yep. And we need a, a, the moral compass to return to this country and to, and to the public square. And I believe, I've said this before, I'm totally coming to this, the only agency that can respond to the craziness of the world that we're living in right now is the church. Because mm. right now every organization, every structure, every agency has been diminished in its influence and personalities as well. It has to be, it has to be someone guided by the Holy Spirit and the church has to intentionally. In fact, let's make that the topic of our next, next podcast about the, the politics and all of that stuff and social justice because they step directly into it. And then the, the last thing I'll mention on one of the offshoots or one of the products of the day of Pentecost to the church, it says at the end at verse 47 that they continue to praise God. If In fact, it, it said very clearly that they uh, became the, that worshiper, those people that kept praising uh, the Lord. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people. That means excluding the none. Ex- so not just men, not just women, not just children. All the people. Not just Our the sanctuaries yeah. should be reflected of every tongue and tribe mm. and different lifestyles and people that don't live the way we live. Mm. Our pews and chairs or stadiums or whatever is our chapels need to be filled with those kind, the Samaritan women's of the world, Mm. the lepers of the world, Mm. the outcasts of society. That's what Pentecost represents for me. Wow. That's a, that's, that's a good one. And that's also would be a great introduction to (laughs) doing the follow-up episode about uh, focusing more on that and what that looks like before we conclude um, can we just, can you just provide our listeners with some practical life application here with the Holy Spirit just in their own everyday lives? Yes. Uh, in, in reference to, uh, of course, Pentecost Sunday, I, I think so many of our visitors, including those charismatics and Pentecostals that are listening to me, are listening to me right now. I think that it's important to reset. Mm. We, we approach scripture and we approach even this coming Sunday with preconceived notions and preconceived conclusions with regard to the work and ministry efficacy of the Holy Spirit. And I think in doing that, unintentionally, we limit his power over our lives. Mm. I I have a testimony that I want to share. And I, Mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's to this point. Um, I met a, 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 I know an individual, I consider him a friend that uh, very successful, tr- tremendously successful in business. I mean, wildly successful. Uh, to, he can do whatever he wants to because he has the money to do whatever he wants to. 
Um, and um, he was very materialistic as a result of his incredible wealth. This man could travel anywhere in the world at any time, at any whim. You know, he had access to private planes and jets and blah, 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 all that stuff. So to fly, you know, 15 or 20 of his family members on a whim to go to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower and then have lunch somewhere else, that was common. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm saying that to cast a vision for someone of our, of our listeners, living a life that many of us would, would want. And uh, right. he's a friend. And but because of that, possessions and things became uh, overshadowed the spirituality. But God was after him, mm. and one day he was being invited to go to a church by a friend, and uh, he ends up so in a way to stop the friend from bothering him so much from the invitation. But nonetheless, somewhere deep down inside in his psyche, he was yearning to be able to go. He goes on his way to the church. This is his testimony. He met Jesus. Mm-hmm. Literally walking, because he was walking. I parked his car, and now he's walking, and he says he had this epiphany. Mm-hmm. And I even told him, epiphany, what do you mean, you know, you met Jesus? He says, I can't explain it, but I met Jesus. And he received them. He received the gospel. He received the good news. He received Christ into his heart as a savior. Nobody preached to him. There was no altar call. There was no or- ham and organ playing in the background to make it easy for him to make the, <laughs> the walk of salvation down the aisles. <laughs> Nothing like that. No lights, wow. no smoke, no, you know, uh, uh, coffee cards or donut cards. It's simply he met Jesus, right? Okay. But that's not the story. The story I want to say is the second part. Hmm. Later on, now he's in his home. Right, this is months later on, and he has guests that are staying in his home, and his home was palatial, of course. And so, he's in his room now. His, you know, his family was no longer with him as a result of his focus on finances and possessions and things. And so he's now he's in his bedroom by himself, and all of a sudden, um, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. Hmm. Nobody did an expository examination like I just did on Acts 1 and 2. No one laid hands on him. No one emptied an anointing oil bottle over his head. No one sang a song faster and faster and faster so that, you know, the, you know, the, the things. And I, and I don't want to be comical about it, but in a way it is comical. Mm-hmm. He was getting ready to go to bed. And all of a sudden he starts to speak in tongues. And he knew, just like he knew Jesus had met him on, as he was walking to that church, he knew that it was the Holy Spirit there and wow. he was baptized that way. Now for my listeners, you explain it because <laughs> you can only do one of two things. Believe it. Yeah. I believe it because I've seen the transformational change in his life. I've mm-hmm. seen it. Or you can doubt it, which is bad because now you're putting yourself in the, in the place of God because mm-hmm. the only one that can judge is God. But he experienced this. He experienced, didn't know anything about cessation, all the things I talked about here, none of that. But he, so that's, that for me is a witness of actually the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. When even today, he doesn't need our help to transform a life. Mm. He just needs us to allow him to sit in the hearts, in our hearts, to have dominion over our lives, which is what Jesus was telling the disciples, the rule and dominion of the kingdom of God the in the hearts of, of his disciples. Wow, yeah. And so we sometimes get it wrong. And I, and I believe that we need to reset all mm. our preconceived notions. We mm. need to be really uh, humble in letting God do whatever God does, whenever he wants to do it with whomever he wants to do it and mm. not quickly jump to conclusions or, or judgments on those lives. Mm. Um, we need to also, you know, have a genuine a pro, humble approach of our own walk with God. I mentioned a list of things. What are the things in our lives that are not that are not there? They should be there. How can we say that I I, I receive the Holy Spirit whenever you received it, and yet we don't get along with our neighbor, mm. or there's tinges of racism in my heart, mm. or you know we have this uh, this this view of people that are less fortunate than us. The homeless are there because they're there. No, no, we we need to back up from all of that. Mm. And I think we need to do that reset in our lives. Yeah. And if when we do that in a genuine way, then we'll experience God like he's never been experienced before. Yeah. The experience of the day of Pentecost in the first century is something that happened that had never happened in the history of humanity prior and all in even biblical history of the, of the, uh, that we see in the Old Testament. That's what God will do for our friends today. Mm. That's what God will do in the moment because they really... Matt, I think it gets down to the point of yielding and surrender. Mm. You know, 
unconditionally because we we approach God with we don't, we want a transactional relationship with God. And I think when we honestly and genuinely release all of those preconceived notions and all of those prejudices and biases that exist in all of us, and we just genuinely approach the throne of the Lord obediently, he will give us that gift that will give us power, by the way, to overcome. You know, there's a, I have to think of one more thing and then I'll stop my commentary. Uh, there's a there's a mandate in the New Testament that we need to love even those that, those don't don't that love those that don't love us mm-hmm. or even those that hate us. Yeah, right. Love your enemy. Yeah. yeah, you know, for me, that's a human impossibility. <laughs> that's real. <laughs> there's people it's very that, honest. And the listeners know this is true. Yeah, there's people course. that you know they deserve to be hated by you, mm-hmm. and you say no, don't give me the Sunday <laughs> spiritual thing. You know, deep down inside. Mm. The only way that we can make that command of the Lord over us real is to have supernatural power. Mm, Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Sometimes we cannot forgive because we're hitting against the door of our own rebelliousness. Mm. When the Holy Spirit comes over you, he just softens you and, you know, he covers the wound that you suffered. He, He heals that wound. And then you're able then to let people go. And by the way, when you get, when you walk through that, that door of forgiveness, and when you treat people as if they have the image of God in their lives without any pretensions, you're actually liberating yourself. Right. Yeah. Desmond Tutu says nothing makes us more in his book that he wrote on forgiveness. And Desmond Tutu, the archbishop down in, in South Africa, he wrote a book and he, he says nothing makes you more like God than when you forgive. Now, wow. the only way that you can be more like God is to have God inside you. Now, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus reigns in your heart. But now the Holy Spirit comes and he endues you with power that you will be surprised at how you treat others once he come, once the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Wow, that's powerful. That in, in and of itself sounds like a miracle, like you were yes. describing before as you were doing. Yes. I, don't, I don't backtrack, but yeah, makes sense. Anyway, I'll this stop is, there. <laughs> no, no, this is great. This is great. I was kind of like, wow, this is some really good stuff. Any other final thoughts before we, we officially conclude this, this No, episode? other than, you know, those that are out there that are believers, because I know sometimes I have a, a following of people that are just exploring and testing and putting their toes in the water. But if, if those out of you believe in the power of prayer, keep me in prayer for this coming Sunday. I, you know, I'm going to be sharing uh, on the day of Pentecost, a day of Pentecost sermon and I'm praying that uh, the, the Lord touch me, mm. you know, and that I want to be an instrument in his hands to, uh, you know, bring a ray of hope to people's lives this coming Sunday. So that's my, my last thought. But thank you once again for joining us. And thank you, Matt, for facilitating and producing this this uh, episode. Of course. Of course. Thank you all. And, and remember, everybody um, who's listening, you can um, subscribe to Dr. Mark on his website. That's Dr. Mark. Rivera.com and that's Dr. Mark with a C, of course. Uh, please leave us comments. We check them. We 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 have a couple of more uh, suggestions that we've been looking at. Um, and we would do our best to try to tackle those as well. So again, thank you all for listening and we hope you guys join us again for our next episode. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. Thank you for listening and God bless.